Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Let me do some semantics. Semantics. Logistics is probably the word I was going for. I always do semantics. Uh, Some basic logistics. It's going to be one of those mornings. Great. Um, This morning we have the opportunity to gather together and to take communion with one another. And so just by way of instruction, when we get to that point of our service, which will be the end of the message here, and we'll introduce that and and pray as we head into that time, Um, just logistically speaking... If when we go to receive our elements, if you would leave your row this way to your right and make your way forward. Now, the front of all of the sections, there is a table. So we now have tables in the middle as well. So that should help uh, those of you in the back um, not feel like you're standing in line for 20 hours. Um, But if you leave this way to your right, come to the table, receive your elements, go back the other way, make the perfect loop, go to your chairs. And in that time that you are sitting, I'm going to encourage you just to take some time to evaluate your heart. We've heard some things already this morning as we have sung together, as we have worshipped together, and and some of those things are difficult. Um, I'd be foolish to think that every single one of us sitting here this morning is is like, but me and God, we are just spot on. And so this morning, I am praying that God's Spirit convicts each and every one of us and wakes us up to the reality that is before us. And the reality that is before us is that most Christians, let me, let me make it a little bit more specific, most people who are at Uniontown Bible Church and call themselves Christians, and if you need more, most of you are not obeying the very first command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and neither am I. And the very first command is this, Pay careful attention then to how you live. Let's be honest. Most of us just get in the stream, momentum, our tradition, the way that we do life. The, we get up at the same time. We go to bed at the same time. Our car drives itself to work and to church. And very few of us actually obey that command for us to pay careful attention. And the reason he's telling us to pay careful attention, church, is because what he has just told us is to wake up. If you are in Jesus Christ, then what you recognize is that that when Jesus Christ came, he dealt with the brokenness and the wickedness of the world by turning the lights on in a very dark place. And everything was, was seen. And then, then Jesus willingly taking your place on the cross, buried in the tomb for three days, bursting out of the tomb, risen from the grave. And, and as a result, he has revealed himself as the eternal light of the world, not just a temporary one. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a true follower of his, a true child of his, then you have the responsibility to pay careful attention to how you're living. Maybe a picture will help. Um, traveling recently, we, we were uh, by this big stone wall, and at the top there was concrete, uh, but then they had also taken shards of glass and embedded it in the concrete. Now, that was to keep birds away, burglars for sure. However, one thing that we realized is there were so many feral cats there that the glass had most certainly had to be to keep the cats out of that section. Now, have you ever watched a cat walk carefully? Cats are very precise, aren't they? The idea of them being on that wall and seeing the shards of glass and simply 
one foot at a time, and then even picking up that foot really high, right? That's how you're supposed to live every day. That's what it means to pay careful attention with intentionality. And one of the areas that Paul deals with right away is the area that God has been working on my heart the most in the last three months. Pay careful attention, then, how do you live? Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So let me ask you, who's in control? You or your calendar? Which one? Is time running you? Are you a slave to your watch? Are you a slave to your cell phone? Are you a slave to your clock? Are you... A slave to your calendar. The busy word is the buzzword of the day. It's my buzzword of the day. So just gonna just being honest. My initial response, and I've been working on this and trying because I do. I think it's uh, I think it's wrong. When people ask me how I'm doing, my response is busy. What a terrible response. I'm trying to get rid of it. So next time if I say busy, you can just punch me right in the throat. It's cool. I'll thank you afterwards. <laughs> if I get punched by one of you, we're gonna have an issue. <laughs> It hurt my feelings. Um, let, me, let me put this resource up there for you. Um, this is a book that God's been using in my life, and it's actually, um, you know, let me just say this, and I said this before, you know how God just keeps ringing the same bell over and over again sometimes? And you're like, why did I hear that verse again? Why did I hear that verse again? Why did I hear that verse again? And it's like, maybe God's trying to teach me something. Well, this book kept coming up on feeds, and friends were reading it, so I bought the book, and I've been working through the book. And then another close friend was preaching a message and mentioned the book. And then last week, I got an email from Right Now Media that said, good news, we've released a Bible study based on this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, by John Mark Comer. And so um, as a, a regular attender or a member or someone who's here, you have access to Right Now Media. If you don't have a login, contact the office. The information's there on the, on the screen for you. But, but I'd encourage you to jump in and look at this Bible study. Purchase the book. Read the book. But Frank... Time. You're talking about how we're, we're so busy and now you're telling me to do a Bible study. Each lesson is about 10 minutes long and there's only five of them. I think you can swing it. I think one of my biggest mistakes was leading into this year, 2022, the comment that I kept saying to my head, not out loud because I knew when I said it out loud it didn't make any sense. I just need more time. And the truth is, you've got the exact same amount of time as everybody else. So time isn't the issue. Right? Time's, time's not the issue. What the issue is, is what are you giving your time to? So the average American is on social media for two hours a day. The average American watches... How much TV do you think the average American watches a day? Seven hours. Now some of you are like, I never watch TV. That means somebody's watching 14 hours. The average American in 2021 was on their phone doing one thing or another, could be social media, could be streaming television, for four hours a day. It's not time, it's the way you spend your time. The way you spend your time is the way you spend your life. It's who you become or who you don't become. 
So what Paul's saying here is that we must make the most of our time. We must redeem the time, buy back the time, purchase something that has been lost. We need to take advantage of every single opportunity because the days are evil. That means exactly what it sounds like. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your worldview is is formed by Christ himself. You are Christ Shaped, not culture shaped. We talked about that last week. You are shaped by Christ. And so when you are shaped by Christ, what you understand is who, in an earthly sense, is ruling the world today. The prince of the power of the air. You understand what the world is like today. And you understand where the world is going eventually. And as a result, if you are shaped in the image of Christ, you are going to use your time in such a way that reflects that knowledge that things are bad and I need to make the most of every opportunity that is given to me. So give up 30 minutes of your game time and instead pray for your friends and family and I would, I would be really surprised if you weren't able to pray for every family member and every close friend by name in 30 minutes a day. Instead of watching an hour of television before you go to bed, I'm not even picking on you to watch the other six hours, okay? But lose that one hour before bed and pick up the Bible and read the Bible for an hour. Here is something amazing. You can read through the entire Bible in six months. Instead of ringing the bell on social media or your latest game to get that hit of dopamine in your brain, put everything aside and be present with the people who are important to you, the people who need you to be present. Redeem the time you don't have forever. Instead of listening to the senseless babble on the radio, and honestly, Unfortunately, a lot of the senseless babble on the radio is on Christian radio. Instead of doing that, man, use your phone for good. Download some podcasts of, of good preachers preaching from all around the world, teachers teaching from all around the world, and, and listen to that. Instead of mowing the lawn in anger. And you know, something revealed to me while I was preparing this morning, that, that exact phrase came to mind. So I have an anger issue with mowing the lawn that I have to work through. I'm not sure what that's all about. But, but instead of mowing your lawn in anger, man, again, pop some earbuds in and listen to worship music as you mow. Or, or there's this really cool podcast that I stumbled on last year at some point. It's called The Five Minutes in Church History. You listen for, I know, wait for it, five minutes. What a creative name. And you get little pieces of church history that are just remarkable. I've told you before, one of the great gifts that I enjoy is something that Stephanie does. As we slip into sleep at night, she uses her version application on her phone, and there's a place you can press play, and it reads scripture to you. And so at night, as I'm drifting off into sleep, I am listening to some English dude read me scripture. And it's all fine and good. Genealogies, I've asked her to skip. That's really hard to sleep to. So, <laughs> listen guys, the world's trying to get your attention right? The world's trying to lull you to sleep, trying to mentor you. It's actually trying to disciple you in its ways. We're being turned into mindless robots that are just responding to whatever comes next right in front of us, whether it be our phones, our emails, our calendars, the notifications that pop up. All those things want us to respond right now. But Frank, that's just life in 2022. No, it's not. If you're always busy, it means you are not paying careful attention 
to how you live, but instead you're following the wisdom of the world. You need to be working hard to take that influence and remove it from you. You need to be working hard to reclaim the opportunities that are before you. How will you spend your time? Uh, you look again down, um, I did this last week, there it is, verse 17. So don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. How are you supposed to spend your time? Intentionally, with aggressiveness, hard work, buckling down to understand who God is and what he expects from you. Well, how do I do that? Okay, let me tell you right now. The answer is simple, but it's not easy. Because what our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is, is to carefully, intentionally, with great care and diligence, live a life that's being filled with the Holy Spirit at all times. Okay. And you're all looking at me like, got it, let's move along. Nope. I'm a preacher, we don't do that. Verse 18 says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. What, what, what happens here is Paul, in an effort to paint the picture of how we're supposed to live, uses alcohol as an illustration, and it is an amazing picture of what he's trying to communicate. But in order to understand this illustration, there are some things that you need to know right off the bat. Thing one, according to the Bible, there is nothing wrong with alcohol in and of itself. I get a lot of amen sometimes. That one was probably wise. You didn't. <laughs> according to the Bible, alcohol is not sin in and of itself. It is actually one of God's gifts. It's not like after creation, Satan got a hold of some grapes and went, devil juice. Okay? This is created by God. In fact, if you read... Psalm 104, it's a beautiful psalm that lists a whole list of things that God has created and, and the fact that these are good and the effects that these things can have on life are good and wonderful and they should be a cause of God's people to thank him for that and alcohol is included in that list. So truth be told, alcohol is one of the many gifts of God that's been taken to an extreme for some people and has become life-dominating. We all know somebody like that, Right? Responsibility and, and moderation are overlooked by those who are trying to escape real life through the misuse and abuse of alcohol. So, Frank, why not say alcohol is evil then? Well, because it's not, that would be lying. I try not to do that. Right? And the second thing is, logically speaking, if I was to decry alcohol as being evil because some people misuse it and abuse it and ruin their lives, then I would also have to stand here in front of you and say... Work, food, entertainment, sex, all that's evil. And that's not true either, is it? These things are a gift from God. So what you need to understand is alcohol in and of itself is never taught to be evil in Scripture. Drunkenness is always sin, period. You heard that clearly, right? I don't want anybody walking around like, Frank said everybody can drink as much as they want. No, it didn't. The Bible always portrays drunkenness as sin. There is never a situation where drunkenness is not a sin. And what Paul does is uses drunkenness as a picture of what it looks like to be controlled by something. 
So he says, okay, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. So he says, here, for a moment, with me, picture this. Over here, a drunk guy. King James, drunkenness leads to debauchery. An awesome word, right? Debauchery, wild and undisciplined lifestyle. Our text says reckless living. We know that to be true because we all have those people in our lives that we have seen ruin their lives with alcohol, right? Drunkenness. What drunk typically is wiser, kinder, more sensitive, makes better decisions while they're drunk? Most people, when they're drunk, become a completely different person. You can stand there and look at them and just be like, who are you? That's not who, who you are. And so Paul uses this expert picture because by all senses and all definitions, this drunk person is controlled by alcohol. They are filled with alcohol. And that's why Paul's using the picture. We all can be assured or aware of when that's happening in us or happening in other people. So Paul says, do not be controlled by any external substance. And he uses alcohol as a picture. Just as a side note, way over here, it has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. He could have used a lot more than alcohol. Don't be controlled by your morning cup of coffee. Oh, it got real, didn't it? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Wait, it gets worse. Don't be controlled by chocolate. Come on. This place is terrible. No, I see alcohol is fine, but chocolate's bad, and that's not what I'm saying either. See, too many of us are controlled by ex things that affect our mood, that affect our reactions, that affect our energy and enthusiasm, the, effect we, the way we interact with other people. And Paul says that should not be so. You should never fall under the control and influence and filling of anything other than, bang, be filled by the Spirit. We must be living a life that's under control of the Spirit, only the Spirit. We must be a people who are directed, governed, influenced by by the Holy Spirit as we seek God in his word, much like the drunkard is filled by alcohol. So so how do I get filled by the Holy Spirit? Is it this special prayer? Is it this special act? Do I got to go to a special place? Don't overthink it. Stop overthinking it. So here, how do you get filled with bacon? Very simply, it's like you find a place that has bacon. You go. You sit down. You order bacon. You eat bacon. If you're a godly Christian, you order more bacon. You continue to eat bacon. And then you you leave the table and go on your way, a much happier person, because you are filled with bacon. Okay, goofy, right? But too often we overthink these simple Bible truths I don't know what it means to be filled by the Spirit. It means the same thing. You see the Word of God that is before you? Read it. Digest it. Go back for more. It's not some magical moment where all of a sudden you see flashes of light and your skin turns green and your clothes... That's a different illustration, but... It's not this thing where it's like, I'm filled! I'm filled! Here's the crazy part about that word, be filled. It's an imperative. That means it's a command. You must. It's passive which means it must happen to you. So you must place yourself in a situation where God will fill you with his spirit. And it's present tense. You know what that means? 
you must always be doing it. There's not a, I'm filled, it's perfect, it's all over. No, 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 no. Good, be filled more. Be filled more. Be filled more. How do I do that? It's Romans 12, isn't it? It's seeing this age and saying, I am not going to be conformed to this age. I'm not going to just be carried along in the flow with everybody, but I'm going to be transformed. And I'm not going to be transformed by my own work. That word transformed is a passive verb as well. I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to allow myself to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so so that then I can discern what is good, what is pleasing, what is the perfect will of God. It's the steady digestion of God's word. It's allowing the spirit to do his work in you as he regularly does if you allow him to. Church, I got to tell you something. If we were a place, no, I got to stop using that word. Sorry. If we were a people, because that's what the church is, right? Church, church ain't this ugly building. Church is these beautiful people. You thought I was going to call you ugly? I didn't. I get one thing. If this place, this, I did it again. That was fast. These people, these people, if our people, if I allowed God's spirit to work in my heart in that way, if I continued to allow myself to be present with God, continually digesting his word and letting the spirit have his way in my heart and in my life, what will happen is God will produce amazing fruit. Look, you be filled by the spirit. Verse 19, what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ as we submit ourselves to the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces incredible fruit in us. The first one is inexplicable joy. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And for those of you that are worried, that doesn't mean we start living the Broadway show. Good morning. How are you? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about in this moment, you come in this room, these songs that we sang together, you are singing songs that are filled with instruction and encouragement and warning and, and, and consolation. You're expressing the hope that is in you because of Jesus Christ. And the one who's in Jesus Christ, the one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, the one who is reconciled with God the Father, there are songs that come out of them at the most unexpected moments. As Job's life is falling apart. Naked I came into the world. Naked I will go out. But regardless of it all, blessed be the name of my God. This inexplicable joy doesn't mean you're happy about everything. And you're like, yay, I lost my job. Yes. You know, it's God's got this. <laughs> and I'm going to be good. I have no idea what this means. I don't have answers for tomorrow, but you know what? I know who holds tomorrow. And we're going to be okay. An inexplicable joy as you are filled with the Spirit. Robust thankfulness. Give thanks for everything. Give thanks always. The one who is filled with the Spirit is not a complainer. The one who is filled with the Spirit is not a grumbler. The one who is filled with the Spirit isn't the one who can find problems with what everybody else does. The one who is filled with the Spirit is not the first one to be like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to post this on Facebook. Now, the one who is filled with the Spirit understands that even in the most difficult of days, we have been given so much, so very much. 
not the least of which is a savior. We can thank God in all things. And then he says, in addition to this inexplicable joy, this robust thankfulness, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have this ability to submit to each other. Jesus tried to teach his disciples this many times. And many times the disciples missed it. You, you get all the way to, to um, the Last Supper, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and they begin arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And it's in that moment that Jesus ties up his robe. The Son of God, the perfect Son of God, the righteous Son of God, the one who came to save us from our sins, kneeled before the disciples with a rag in his hand and a basin of water, and he washed their feet. And he said, men, the greatest person is the person who uses their authority to build up other people. The greatest person is not like the Pharisees who seek to build up their authority in order to make themselves important. No, no, no. The teaching is we are to esteem one another more important than ourselves by nature, our sinful nature. We want to to promote ourselves, but the Holy Spirit enables us to submit ourselves to other people, to use the giftings that God has given us to elevate and, and prop up and promote other people and not ourselves. Now, you're going to see that come up a lot in the next three weeks as we continue through Ephesians. And that idea of submitting to one another really is anchored in what we take time to remember this morning as a church family. As we take communion together, and we hold in our hands, it's just a cracker, and it's just a little cup of juice, and and both of them are together, by the way. forgot to say that. So you need to take two cups at once. Um, And if if you're gluten... Uh, intolerant, we do have that back at the, the table as well, but at the counter, I'm sorry. But, but as you look at this picture, <clears throat> which is cracker and juice, what, what you are remembering is that the Son of God, the Son of God, willingly came to die for you. What you are remembering when you hold those elements in your hand as we take communion together is you're remembering that God has invited you into a relationship with himself. And that invitation came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and laid down his life for you even though you didn't deserve it for a moment. The fact that that God has called us into an invitation a relationship with him based on the perfection of Jesus Christ despite our imperfection. As we look at the elements this morning, we're reminded that we don't deserve any grace. We don't deserve a relationship with God. We don't deserve mercy. We deserve judgment. But we have a Savior who took that judgment for us because he willingly submitted himself to it. When you consider the cost of what Jesus did for you, it should lead you to pay careful attention to how you live. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'll dismiss you to come to the table and receive your elements and return to your seats. And then when everybody has their elements, we'll, we'll take communion together. But, but as you have those few quiet moments there, may I encourage you, consider the cost of the gift. 
and consider your way of life. Do they line up? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your very good gift to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you that even when we were separated from you because of our sin, that that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to take our place on the cross. Now, Father, I pray as we take a few moments in our service to reflect on that gift, that you would work in our hearts and and, and point out the areas that, that we may need to repent. Point out those areas where where we need to align our lives with that invitation that's been given to us. God, we want to be a people who put a smile on your face. And so this morning, may we let go of anything that might keep that from happening. We love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen.